Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the Senior Wealth Advisor and I'm the founder of EIG and I've been blessed to be able to have done Money Sense for almost 33 years. And uh, I was talking to my guest today, Edward DeShazer, and I was telling him that in all of these years we've never sold any type of an investment product or any product that's really to bring education so that you know we can make decisions we can make good good decisions about our own lives and also about the lives of our family and our community and so today i'm really very excited because like so often i end up being introduced to somebody on another subject and i listen there and i turn around and i say you know that's really fascinating would you want to do the radio show and so that's how my my guest today kind of got roped into it. Um, and my guest today is um, Mr. DeShazer, and I want to say Edward DeShazer. And he is um, one of the things that struck me as so important is he is carrying on the legacy of his dad and his grandfather. And he is um, the, is it the president um, and CFO, the executive director, the executive the director of the Greater Holy Family Christian um, Academy, and the reason that I was introduced to him is because their school is um, going to be using our Pillows with Wings books, and all of you know how much of a passion that has been for me. But what it really did, I'm always surprised, is how I am led to somewhere that really gives me more information and helps me to understand the calling that I feel to really provide education to our clients, of course, for certain, but also to our community. And so often people are talking to me about their ROI, their return on investment. It's always, it's always a subject. And I've started to talk about what about the return on your community? And, you know, with all the return on your investment and all the things that you have, if you really don't have community return in the community you live in, the community your family lives in, your children, where you work, um, it's, to me, in many cases, meaningless. And so that's what I really want to talk about today. I was talking to Edward, and he was talking about what's going on in schools. I was curious about post-COVID. I really wanted to know what we could do, what I could do. And basically, kind of like what's going on in the education, because we do hear so much on TV and we hear so much negative things. But I was in this school and I got to tell you, it was hopping and it was fun and the kids were smiling and it really lifted me up. And so I hope that our conversation today will also lift you up. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to uh, reintroduce my guest and talk a little bit about our kids, the kids in our community, and how we can support them, how we can help them grow. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, Senior Wealth Advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And 
as I said earlier, blessed to have done to be the host of the show for over 30 some years. My guest today is Edward DeShazer, and he is the son of Pastor James DeShazer. He's also currently the executive director, the CEO, and the CFO of the Greater Holy Temple Christian Academy. And I'm not going to go on, but after you hear him talk, you'll know that he's involved in a lot more in Milwaukee um, than just that that small little piece that I've, which I know is a big piece of his life. And I'm so excited about a family business because I have a family business. It must really mean a lot to you, too, to be carrying on this legacy of not only a grandfather, um, but a dad. Yeah, it's it's funny you say a business because so often people don't understand that schools are businesses, but they are. We're in the business of educating the future of the city, you know, the state, the country. Um, and it's something that when I was growing up, I never would have imagined that I would be working a school. I, I was someone, when I tell my story, I was kicked out of school. I was expelled. And eventually I got it right. But I am also someone that doesn't think life is a bunch of coincidences. You know, God puts us through the things that he needs us to go through to get where we're going and to be who we are and where we're supposed to be. So I believe that I went through the struggles I had because he knew that I would end up in a school so I could help kids that may have similar struggles so I can help them avoid those things um, to just become the best people that they can be as they get older. When you're looking at the school and you're looking at the children, and I think you have around 375 students. Yeah, we're about 425. 425 students, 375 families. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Got it backwards. When you're looking at providing these types of services, what what were the real challenges that you had to face with this whole COVID thing, and how did it how did you um, transition out of that into where you are today, where the students are really engaged? Yeah. So for us, the first challenge I noticed when schools went virtual was that stuff like internet and Wi-Fi and devices is a luxury. And as someone that's grown up in a middle-class family, those are things that you take for granted. So when we first went virtual, a lot of our kids did not have devices to just say, all right, get on your computers and work with us. Um, So that was a big eye-opener for me. But I was proud when I reached out to my community on Facebook, my friends, my family. And we ended up raising enough money to get each one of our kids a tablet when COVID hit. So all of our kids had tablets that we were able to raise money to donate to the families. Um, But the thing it showed me the most is that kids are resilient. You know, despite everything, despite in the blink of an eye being stuck at home, that think there's a lot of negatives that you can take out of it. But the positives is you can really see how resilient kids can be. Kids can accomplish anything when given no other choice. When you're um, working with the teachers, too, I guess that the kids is one thing, but how did the teachers transition and how did that work? I mean, because so often, you know, I don't want to say teachers are forgotten, but it's not always identified some of the needs that they have. Yeah, I mean, teachers are are unfortunately forgotten. And one of the things we looked at when we were shifting into the full virtual was giving our teachers shorter hours, because I think that's what people forgot is, you know, we talked about everyone putting their mask on and help themselves. But when we talked about teachers, we're like, all right, tie that kid's shoe, get your lesson plans done, and then when you're done, help yourself. So we were big on making sure we shortened our days for our teachers um, and just gave them the same empathy that we were asking everyone else to give other people because I feel like when everyone 
when all the students got sent home and everyone was in lockdown, everyone was like, wow, I appreciate teachers. We love teachers. And then come August time, everyone was like, kind of like get these kids back out there. We don't really care about the teachers. So I think the teachers were definitely forgotten, but it's trying to find ways to give them support emotionally uh, more than anything. It's like they're people too. You know, they have kids at home that they're trying to work with that are not in school as well as serve the kids from their classroom. So it was very challenging for teachers. Um, but the teachers at our school did an awesome job. Um, and that's why I, I just love our teachers. They are the type of people that are by any means necessary. And I think that's kind of how you have to be with, you can't let excuses stop you from doing your purpose when it comes to educating kids. When you talk about happy students and happy teachers, in your estimation, what really motivates kids? I mean, you and I talked about how curious kids are. Just They're just born to be curious. And um, so where do you see that motivation coming from? I think kids just want to be loved. Uh, people just want to be loved. And it when kids know that you love and care about them, kids will do anything for their teachers. And we see that with, with the teachers at our school. Like our teachers will do... You know, when COVID hit, we had teachers bring presents to to houses for Christmas. We had um, a lady at our school delivering food, deliver, dropping homework off, picking homework up. And when kids know that they are loved and, and actually it's a they have a genuine relationship with their teachers, they will do anything. And I think that's just something that with people in general and when I speak at schools, I always just – I think relationships have to be the foundation of any school, any organization. It's like that's what gets people – to work harder you know you talk about ROI that's how you get a return on your employees and a return on your students is when they know that you love them kids will do anything for you I saw a little thing come cr across Facebook and I don't know if I exactly have this right but it says kids don't come home and say oh I had a rough day can we talk they say will you play with me mm -hmm. will you be with me yep and kids <laughs> I always I do this activity with teachers when I when I speak at schools and I say Think of one word to describe your favorite teacher. No one ever says smart. No one ever says intelligent. They all they always say loving, caring, respectful, humble. They all think of words that are like relationship traits on how they made them feel. Like kids don't care about my master's degree. They care, will I ask them if something's wrong when they walk in with a sad look on their face? Will I pick them up? Will I celebrate them when... Their test is great, and they run up to you like, Mr. DeShazer, look what I did. Like, <laughs> That's the stuff that kids look for in a, in a teacher, in a parent, and I think that's also what teachers look for when they come in school. Like, they, Life is hard enough being a teacher, but how do we celebrate? How do we support? How do we give teachers the space to understand like you, are, you can still be a human being and get support but still be a great teacher at the same time? I... My curiosity, and you've sort of answered the question, is what motivates teachers? And I know that when I would go to meetings for my kids and they'd have their break and we'd have teacher-parent meetings, um, sometimes I would hear a parent being really rude and not respectful around their child and some of the things that the, that the teacher was trying to get across. And I have to be visiting with a friend yesterday who was telling me that she had a teacher's conference and she was sort of got up that morning and was putting on her battle gear <laughs> and then she just literally stopped and paused and sat back and she said how can I be curious about this how can I 
ask a question rather than, de- than demand an answer? How can I figure out what's really going on? And asking the question, can I participate or what could be done? And she said she felt so good going into that meeting, and it turned out wonderful. And they really partnered with this child and could see you know, we can't, we all love our own children. I always say that. And um, I used to, when I used to babysit, my, I'd come home and my dad would say, how are the kids? And I'd say, oh, they were horrible. And she'd, she'd say, did you, did you tell so-and-so? And I'd say, no. <laughs> he, he wouldn't hear that about his kids. We all love our own kids. And, but the truth of it is, is I think a motivation for a teacher is, you know, having this feeling that it is a cooperation with the parent and the teacher and the child. Because, we all want the same thing. Yep. Yeah, we we all want the same thing. I think where you're at now is some people just see different paths to get there. But if you can get an understanding with a parent that, like, I am here to serve your child. I am here to serve you. I want your child to do great things. How can we work together? I think those are the relationships, you know, like other some of the other activities that we talked about doing. It's just building a relationship. You have to have a good relationship with the parent because when you need them to support you, they're not going to support you and all you've done is call about negative things. You know, it has to be a positive relationship so when it's when storms get rough, you guys have that relationship to fall back on. My guest today is Edward um, DeSager. He is a CEO and CFO of the Greater Holy Temple Christian Academy. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the Senior Wealth Advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Edward DeShazer, and he is helping me to just sort of look at our school systems in general, and as a parent, as a grandparent, how can we step in? And I love the story about putting out on Facebook that we need help. If that wasn't really an investment in community and an investment in kids, um, you know, that was just absolutely a beautiful story. And it was it was a hard time. And I think people really realized that there was an issue at hand. And so many of these parents were working at home. And I think of myself, I was using my computer. If I had two or three kids, I had to work. Um, it would have been really difficult. When you're looking at the broad base of all schools, what do you see as um, how the schools have changed and how um, learning has changed for children because I was doing multiplication tables. I wasn't working on a, on a computer or on a memory board of any kind. So for a lot of us, um, I wanted to volunteer in Florida and they said, would you volunteer with the fifth graders in math? There was like, are you kidding? <laughs> Can I read to the kindergartners and the first graders and help them with spelling? I mean, you know, it's a little frightening in the, for a lot of us who are grandparents. Yeah, I think it's funny you say <laughs> that. My son, he's in fifth grade. And, you know, some of the math, I feel like it's it's changed, which I don't, two plus two still equals four, but how they get to four is <laughs> kind of weird these days. Um, but I think my biggest struggles with education is how much it hasn't changed. Um, you know, the world that our kids are walking into is so much different from then when we were growing up where everything was blue collar, factory, straight rows, straight lines, where nowadays kids need to be on computers. They need to be collaborating with each other, working. You know, I look at 
you know, even Milwaukee, it's, it was a very industrial city. And I think sometimes schools are still doing some of those same exact things, but the world that we're sending our kids into is so much different from even, you know, 25 years ago when I was that age. So I think it's how do we reach kids that can get answers within 10 seconds by going on the internet? You know, when we were growing up, if we had to, uh, find an answer we had this encyclopedia Britannica's all down the wall yes you had to walk over <laughs> find the m pull it out and dig through the kids these days don't have that attention span uh because of how everything is so you know you type something and you enter and it pops up i remember when the internet first came out it would take you 15 minutes just to get on aol <laughs> and then another 15 just to get to the next page and i, I think schools need to adapt a little bit and start to understand that the generations that are coming up are not the same. So we have to reach them a little differently and give them different tools so they can be successful when they get out of school. And I'm guessing that parents are also intimidated by some of the things. My granddaughter, my great-granddaughter, Jazzy, just turned three, and I got her one of these Firefly little computers, and she's doing all kinds of things on there and loving it. And I look at that, and I didn't work on a computer until I was much, much older and certainly had none of that. So even for parents now, it must be intimidating um, how the kids are learning. Yeah, and I think that was one of the bigger struggles for COVID is, you know, we're, we have kids at home with parents that are busy working for themselves, taking care of themselves, and we're asking them to assist on a computer that a lot of them are not familiar with with math homework that a lot of them are not familiar with because the formulas and those things have changed. So it's it can be a challenge for a lot of parents and it's I think that's where you could have some of the disconnect with schools and parents because parents feel as though like you know how you were saying with the math homework, like stuff looks different than when it was when we were growing up. So I think it's important to give, especially in the city of Milwaukee, to give parents we need to give parents resources as well so they can actually be a great support system for their child whether it's help with homework whether it's you know help with the math getting on and off the computer but a lot of the younger kids they are so used to using devices you can hand i could hand my son at five years old an iphone he would work it i could hand my mother the same they just can figure it out yeah she can't figure it out at all but kids have just grown up or my generation the first half of my life when i was younger was books map paper maps that you would unfold in your car (laughs) and then now it's like you know you could tell a kid to get home from school and they probably get lost because they they don't your phone tells you everything it tells you where to go it tells you everything you need so if you take a phone from a kid or from a younger person it's like they don't even don't even remember phone numbers anymore so i think so much has changed but i think that's why schools need to start looking at how are we educating our kids how are we reaching them what are we teaching our kids to be when they leave here? To be more visionary and proactive. A question that begs to be asked, and i just curious on my own about this, is these kids, our children, my grandchildren, are on the phone all the time, and they're on computers, and they do their testing. My, my granddaughter in college, I mean, I can't believe how... Um, you know, they barely even go to meet the teachers. And one of the things that you said to me when we were setting up this interview, 
you had the choice of doing Zoom or you had the choice of driving all the way over here um, to meet with me and do this radio show. And you said, I would so much prefer to just do it face-to-face with you. And so here we are, face-to-face. How do we get our kids to want to be face-to-face when their faces are on their phones? And have you noticed that there's any lag or miscommunication or or a difference that children are so glued to these um, artificial, intelligent ways of communicating? Yeah, it's definitely a noticeable trend and I think parents as parents and educators we have to be intentional with getting our kids off of those devices I think there's a lot of value to those devices you know an example of YouTube we can get a kid on YouTube and you can learn how to build a car on YouTube you could also sit and watch music videos one of those is going to help you get better the other is just music and you know sometimes music is great but I think being intentional as parents of making and teachers making sure our kids get outside, get some fresh air. A lot of kids don't know how to ride a bike. When I was growing up, if I wanted to play with my friends, I had to get on my bike and ride there. Nowadays, I could play video games with my friend and they're at their house and I'm at my house and we have our headphones on. So I think that lack of communication is something that's going to be very noticeable as this generation child becomes adults because we're so used to texting things versus being able to sit and talk in person, shaking hands, hugging, well, Write a thank you note or a letter. Yeah, it's it's all things that are like teaching cursive. The only time people write cursive now is when you're signing something. But you ask a, a kid that's graduating high school to sign a check, more than likely that kid is going to write out their name because they don't know cursive because it's so dated with them typing everything on computers. Wow. that I've always wondered um, how... It's such, it must be, and it is, very difficult for parents because when they're on the computer, they're quiet, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, I mean, they're busy. So for parents or grandparents or babysitters or anyone that is interacting with these children, to really make the effort to interact with them, I think, is is a huge gift back. And I have a saying that keeps me very well-centered. I, I feel it says, um, a gift isn't a gift until it's given away. And, you know, you had said a little bit earlier in our conversation that it's not always that schools need money. And, of course, we always do need money to, to keep up and to have new things. But sometimes it's just the presence of people coming into the school and showing the kids their willingness and their excitement about learning. Yeah. T- you know, time is, is one thing that when you give away, you can't get back. You know, so time is such a valuable thing that I think a lot of us take for granted um, just in life in general. But I think time is something that people in schools don't take for granted. You know, people just on Veterans Day, we had some veterans that came out in their uniform and they took time to just read to our kids. It's like those are the experiences that kids need because it gets them away from the screens. We did for uh, right before Halloween, we did a pumpkin patch in our grass and the kids got to go out there pick pumpkins take pictures get some fresh air it's like we have to be intentional to get kids off of those devices get them on bikes get them outside get them you know at nature wisconsin has a lot of beautiful parks get them in nature Uh, those are things i think once kids are out there and appreciate it as they get older they'll you know they'll they'll it'll be something that becomes a habit for them versus everything beyond your from the moment you wake up you're on you know facebook instagram 
then you're on YouTube, then you're in school on videos all day, then you eat for lunch, you may go outside for recess for 30 minutes, then you're right back in looking at devices. And I think that's during COVID, everyone got so device heavy that now we're trying to pull kids back out of that to know like, you know, interacting with people in person is good. Yes, Zoom is great. It's awesome (laughs) that we can connect with people across the world, but there is nothing that can ever replace being in person and actually feeling people's energy when you are in a room with them. And making that effort to really make the effort to think about it and not always take the easiest way because easiest isn't always the best. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where life has gotten is, you know, it's it's easy, so that's just what we do so we can move on to the next thing. And I think we just have to be intentional with our kids about the amount of time we're letting them spend on things, not even just spend on it, but what are they watching and doing on those devices? There's a lot of educational things that kids can be doing. Are kids doing that or are they just watching prank videos on YouTube all day? It's like those are two completely different outcomes that can happen with the exact same device. When when you're thinking about the education of, of your of your students, so much emphasis has always been put on you must go to college, you must go to college. Um, in order to be successful, in order to find your peace. Well, I never went to college. <laughs> I didn't have that opportunity. And, um, but yet, I feel that I had a great education. And um, part of it was, of course, my desire to do the right thing and to learn. How do you help the kids to figure out what is the right path for them? Where I, when I was many, many years ago, I felt that if I didn't go to college, there was something wrong with me. I really, and I can't tell you how long I carried shame for not having gone to college. And when people would, we'd be at an event or something and they'd start talking about their college or their sorority, I would go to the bathroom and then go somewhere else, you know, to get away from that. I didn't know how to deal with it. I have heard more talking about that now than ever before and so many of the kids that do go to college they come out with so much debt that they can't even get a job to cover the cost of going to college it sets them back on on school loans and things so how do you feel that parents schools the our our environment and the way people look at it can help children to feel comfortable about finding their true path i think the best way to do that is by giving kids experiences you know, I had a, one of our former students, he wants to be an electrician, and I told him, don't go to college. Find a trade school and learn how to do that, but also learn about business. And I think that was my generation, I'm going to be 40 in a couple months, was one of the last generations that we, similar to what you're saying, we were pushed. College, 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 college. It's like college is not for everyone. You know, you can go to a two-year trade school, become a plumber, and make more money than people that spend four years at Madison and come out with $100,000 in debt. And now you're far ahead of the curve. And I think just knowing, giving kids experience, and then allowing them to navigate. Kids have to make mistakes. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that parents may make, is we try to push our kids into what we think they should do versus what they want to do or what they feel they should do. And guidance is good, um, but not every college is not for everyone. Some people, you know, you have guys that are YouTube stars that are making millions of dollars and they've never had any formal education, you know, and you have other people that are 
entrepreneurs. You know, you didn't go to college. I went to college. I have a marketing degree. I'm not even using my degree. <laughs> I got a master's and I, you know, I'm working on a doctorate. Those are things I use, but I never used my undergrad. And I think that's the biggest thing is you're telling 18 year olds to go start accruing all this debt. And at 18 year olds, half of us don't know what we want to be in the first place. Right. And then it took, I didn't, I fell into what I was doing because this is where life put me. I would have never, when I was 18 year old, my, my thought wasn't, let me go be in a school. So I didn't know what I wanted. And I think that's the biggest mistake that we have made. You know, college doesn't have to start 18. Maybe you take some time, learn about yourself, and you start, if you want to go to college, maybe you're 23. That shouldn't be frowned upon because everyone's path is different in this world. You know, it's so funny that you say that because, Julie, when I was um, a broker before I initiated my own business, I was on one of these educational due diligence um, journeys. I guess it was really a trip. And Sir John um, Templeton was there and with the big Templeton funds, and he was very well known. A lot of people he's been gone don't know about him, but he was um, extremely um, kind, and his business was more about community and people than it was just about being the biggest mutual fund company in the world. And I was there with my daughter, Julie, and I remember him saying to her, Julie, do you you know, what are you going to do? And she was a freshman in college. She said, well, I don't know. I think I'm going to be a teacher. And he said, well, don't you want to do what your mom does? And she said, absolutely not. She said, I want to go to school in blue jeans every day. And I, I, I want to be a teacher and have off in the summer. And, and that was her 18 year old mind, you know, and he looked at her and he said, well, if you don't teach in this business, you'll never be successful. And that turned her thinking completely around. And that's how she ended up here at EIG, my daughter, and now the most amazing woman raising, you know, um, raising her children and also um, the president of EIG. And that was not a path that she ever thought about, but it was that one comment from somebody that had her shift her thinking. And I think those are the types of things that people can do. So I'm really talking to my listeners and to my clients right now who are retired. And um, there's a great uh, TED Talk out there on the four stages of retirement, which I'm going to be doing an interview on. And one of them is, you know, it's, it's a journey in retirement. But getting to that end, and everybody gets there differently. If you're smart, you get there quick so that you have more fun. But for some people, it takes a long time. It's taken me nine years. <laughs> I'd say that's a while. But I'm blessed that I get to do the things I want. But it's finding where your passion is. And schools need our retirees' passion. Yeah, We need it. And you know, I always say, why would I quit now? This is the smartest and the best I've ever been at it. But that's such a small box. It's almost saying I can't share knowledge other places. I have to do it in the four rooms of my office. So I'm just reaching out to all of you know our listeners and to my clients who are retired or thinking about retirement and think about what you can bring to these kids in schools. And you and I talked about it earlier. Sometimes people are afraid to go to the schools because they either feel they won't fit in or they won't be accepted. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think it's so important because our school is predominantly black um, that our students get surrounded by 
people who don't look like them. I think that is with everything that's happened, you know, in the country in the last few years, it's everything being so divisive. It's important for people to be around people who don't look like them, who don't act like them, and who don't think like them. I think that's we get in these silos of, you know, everyone stays in their communities. And that's why Milwaukee is one of the most segregated areas. You know, you have areas where, you know, the majority of the Jewish people live, where the majority of the Hispanic people live and black people. Everyone's kind of divided. But it's like, how will we ever move forward if we all can't come together? So I always encourage people, you know, the teacher that I credit for saving my life. I was 18 years old. She was probably in her 50s, a white lady from Whitefish Bay. We couldn't have been more opposite, but she built relationships with me. So to me, it did not matter what she looked like. It mattered how she made me feel, how she treated me, how she respected me. And I think it's important for our kids to be exposed to people that don't look like them. And I also think it's important for people who aren't from Milwaukee or been in Milwaukee to come to a school like ours and see see our kids and you know you can turn the news on and you can hear negative stuff about Milwaukee every single day but when you come into our building and you see the faces that are there every day the teachers that are working hard it's it it gives it paints a more realistic picture about what's going on in Milwaukee that the news will not show you do you know people often will say to me they'll call and say I heard on the news that um the interest rates are this and stocks are that and and I'll sit down and say well do you own those and they'll say well I don't know and I'll say you don't own them <laughs> and people often think what they hear is directly related to them but it's not that news sells papers it gets people um, it gets people riled up if you really go to the schools, I was at your school. It is amazing, and it was fun. And the kids were, oh my goodness, the kids were so cute and they were so happy. And that's true of most schools, I'm guessing, and many of the schools. And the giving, what you get back, and knowing that you have had an impact on a child's mind to do better. It, there can't be any other gift that is greater than that. And to know that you've helped them read or you've helped out a parent who is working the night shift and can't be there. I mean, even I think going to these parent-teacher meetings is so critical that if you're a grandparent and your kids can't go, maybe you could go. Yeah. Or as a neighbor, maybe you could say, if you can't get to that teacher-parent, I'll go for you. I mean, it, it's the saying, it takes a community to raise a child. It does. It's not going to happen with just the parents. It's not going to happen with just the schools in a vacuum. Like, we all have to come together, working together, because, you know, there may be a day for my son where I'm not around. Then if all he was depending on me, what is he going to do? So that's why it's important. The mom, the school, the grandparents. At his football games, all of his all of his grandparents are there. All of my family is there. They're there because, it, like you said, it takes all of us together to collectively give our kids the best chance for success in life. We're going to take a quick break, but I remember a study that was done, and it was a TED Talk, and it was on. It ended up being on happiness, and they took a group of kids that were very poor and kind of in the breadline, and then they took a group of uh, men who were very successful Ivy League, and they studied both of them. And it was the longest study ever. It was like 50 years. And they didn't exactly know what the results was going to be, what they were looking for. But what it came out was that it didn't matter how much money you had or, or didn't have. It turned out that the people who knew that someone had their back 
and it could have been a parent or a spouse or anyone, if someone knew that someone had their back, they stayed healthier, they were more successful, they were happier, they lived longer. And it was just knowing that there was someone in their corner. 100%. And when you start getting money, you start wondering if people are in your corner for the right reasons, which becomes a very lonely feeling. Not that I know, but I've heard (laughs) it becomes a very lonely feeling. Well, you know, it can be very lonely being at the top. And one of the things, I have a a friend I was just talking to the other day, and honestly, he's got relationships from grade school. He still has relationships from the guys he was in college with and, and together. And he's 74 years old, and he stays in touch with those people, and he has people. Not in the sense that people say they have people that do things for him. He has people that care about him, and with that, we'll take a break. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Edward DeShazer, and he is the CEO and CFO of the Greater Holy Temple um, Christian Academy. <laughs> I should know that I've said it so many times. But it's what also is just, uh, is just so much fun to be here with Ed talking about the school and his love and appreciation for what his grandpa and what his dad started and his commitment, not just only to the school, but to the community and to the kids. And one of the things that I always said prior to transitioning my business over to my daughter was that nobody wants anyone to change their baby's clothes. <laughs> and and what I can tell that you've done and what I can tell that my daughter has done is not change the baby's clothes because the values and the reason for starting the school, the reason for starting Ellen Becker Investment Group remains the same. But what she has done is she's created a new wardrobe around what was there. And she's been able to bring in new thinking and new thoughts, you know, and um, our different teams that we have on doing our clients' taxes and helping them and our estate planning. And so it's a joy to be able to see that. And I'm very fortunate that I get to witness what my daughter's doing. And your father passed away last year, I believe it was. 2020. 2020. Uh, but he's looking down, and I'm certain is very proud and very happy. I know that one of the things you said earlier was that schools need to do things different, and they need to change. And you know, Ed, that's the same in business. We have so many younger people out there, our clients, children, who are trying to make money really fast or are trying to get into some of these scams that I call them, and they, they, don't, they don't have the maturity to know what's real and what's not real. And so we're always trying to educate and figure out different ways that we can help our clients. And that's what you're doing with your school. So it is a business. I mean, we're both facing some of the same challenges. Yeah. And for us, and that's kind of one hats off to you for allowing your daughter the ability to be able to do that. I know it's very difficult for people when you've worked so hard to grow something like you've grown here and like what my father grew. Um, And it's difficult to see that change. But I think change is good because what I tell our teachers is what got us here is not going to get us where we're going. It's going to take that plus more, and we have to be able to adapt with the times and and grow. And that's why at the school some of the stuff we're doing is trying to teach kids more than just math, social studies, you know, 
science, all those things. We have to teach kids how to think outside of the box, how to think like business people. How, we had a young lady that she was saying that she wanted to do hair when she got older. And I told her, I challenged her. I said, you know, that's great. I believe you can be great at that. But what if you bought a building and one of them was a hair salon where you were paying 14 other people to do hair and then you rented out the other two spaces? So it's getting kids to think bigger. Like we have to dr- get our kids to dream bigger and that not They deserve box them more. In. 100%. They deserve more. Yep, and that's what we tell our kids. Our, our saying at our school is great things happen here. Like you didn't get put on this earth to be average. You know, you have to think outside the box. You have to dream big. And so often we try to box kids in. And I think education does that often is we try to keep kids in these small parameters. Stay in line. Be quiet. Don't do, you know, don't talk to your What's well, easier? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like you said earlier, people take, you know, the easier path. And I think yeah. we need our kids to dream big. Jeff Bezos and his wife, they dream big. Look where Amazon turned. Apple dream big. Look what happened there. You dream big. Look what happened here. It's like great things happen when people dream big and believe in themselves and are willing to not let anything stop them from getting there. One of the things that I've thought so many times is that if I had a nickel for every time someone told me I was crazy for doing something, and for me, that always meant, well, then we probably should be looking at doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's my you know, entire life was built off of that. And that was the same way with our billboards. When I started those like 14 years ago, I cannot tell you how many people said, you know, investment firms don't do that. It's sleazy. You don't do it. And I was like, well, there must be a way to do it and do it right. And now everybody copies me. <laughs> yep. And that, that's what our school project, when we started, it was in May. And we met with some of the largest construction companies in the city, and they said it's not possible. And I said, well, we don't have a choice. It, it either has to happen or it has to happen. And we did a $5 million project in three months when every contractor said it wasn't possible. It's like, yeah, it's not possible because you people don't think big enough. Yes. And if you have the right support system and, the, and you're willing to do the hard work, I believe anything is possible for anyone. I remember someone once said to me, Karen, remember when you were just young and first married and you – were thinking about taking a vacation and you were thinking about well could I take a tent could I do a pop-up rent a pop-up um, maybe I could do that and and he said what if you were still thinking that way today about taking a vacation he said it changed when you take a vacation now you want a feather fill- pillowcase and you feather, you know feather pillow and a nice bed and a shower and a view and he said everything has to change you can't still be in that mode of where you were in the very beginning of life. Yeah. I mean, that's the the light. The objective of life is to, like you said, be happy, but to be growing, but then to make sure that your ceiling is your children's floor and then their ceiling is their children's floor because you just want what you're doing to continue. Like my dad's ceiling is my floor and I'm trying to grow what we're doing. So then my son's floor is then my ceiling and he takes it to the next level. That's such a that's such a beautiful picture. You know, I hadn't thought about that as being um, my ceiling is Julie's floor. And I do remember when I said, you know, I really would like you to take over the company. She's, Mom, you'll never do that. You'll never let go. And I remember looking at her and thinking, Wow, that's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we but we did have an advantage, and similar to yours, you were with your grandpa and your dad, and you saw what they were doing. Julie saw what I was doing all through her years growing up. 
And so it there was more of a natural transition than just trying to step into something. So we only have about two and a half minutes left or so. And I w- I'm wondering if you could encourage again my listeners and my clients who are faithful listeners to um, what can they do? What can they do right now um, to help children in their community and your school, any school? I mean, literally, go knock on the door where there's a school. Every neighborhood has a school. Yeah, I think just finding time to go out there, read to some kids, you know, maybe ask if you can support them on a field trip as a chaperone. I think people just need to be willing to spend time. Money is great. Every school, listen, if you can donate, that's even better. (laughs) But time is so important and kids need and teachers need some support. You know, go to a school and ask if you can just come in and read or maybe just show up to a school and say, what do you need? What can I help you with? Some school may say, you know, would you love to help serve kids food at lunch? Some may ask for donations. Do homework after school. Whatever it can be. Every school has a need because they're all short-staffed right now. So just go and ask, what can I help you with? What do you need? And I think that's probably the most valuable thing anyone can do for any schools across the state. No school, there's not, I don't think there's a school in the state that's not struggling with staffing right now. People are burnt out. So any support that people can give as far as time and energy, schools are going to appreciate and what a beautiful gift to give to a teacher or to give to somebody who is burnt out or is tired and to know that someone cares enough to offer a lending hand. And sometimes I think we, we think we're coming into this holiday season and first Thanksgiving is next week and it's really the time to be appreciative and to really consider what do people need rather than assuming that we know what they need yeah and I think that's just important what can I help you with what can I what can I do and sometimes people don't need anything they just want to know someone cares thank you so much for coming today and spending this time with me my guest today is Edward um, DeSager and he is the executive director the CEO and the CFO of the Greater Holy Temple Christian Academy and um Thank you again. This is just was just absolutely beautiful. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.